Hello, here we go again. Another podcast, me reading stuff. I just sounded so boring. I just sounded like I don't know how to speak. What if all of a sudden you guys, what if because I'm going to calm down and take a sabbatical and not work like a maniac, what if I just became like extremely dull because I'm so calm? You know I'm always worried about this. I sounded like that a little bit. Like what What if, here's how I introduce the podcast every week now. Hello, this is Robin O'Neill and this is me reading stuff. That's kind of how NPR sounds to me, everybody on NPR. But they sound a little more inquisical. I mean, <laughs> inquisical, that's not a word. They sound a little more inquisitive. And maybe a little like this. But sometimes they sound a little like this too. It's just hard to tell. Um, I hate the NPR voice. I know that's probably a jerky thing to say. But I've never liked it. Even back when I was young enough to be impressionable and th- think, and I thought I needed to listen to NPR, I still hated the way everybody spoke. <laughs> it's so stupid. Like, have a little guts. Like, speak with emphasis. Now, I'm realizing not everybody, not everybody should be like me. Not everybody should be loud and, you know, powerful and awesome like me. But uh, maybe a little bit more if you're on the radio. And again, thank you guys. A couple of you said I did remind them of Delilah. I think I am Delilah. Is she still around? I think I live in the same state as Delilah. What if I met her? Oh, my God. That would be really exciting for me. How are you guys doing? Thank you for everything. Uh, You guys liked the... uh, I was afraid people wouldn't like the nonstop talking about all the greatest scents in the world. But everybody seemed to really like it, and I got a lot of good recommendations based on my scent profile that I put out there into the world. Um, And Heather, who originally requested it, was very happy. And then we had another Heather, who I've mentioned on the podcast, who I met in Houston, who had the cutest outfit on and included a Me Reading Stuff t-shirt. So um, it was just a great, great week all around hearing from you guys. Although it is so funny, too, because there's this there's this strange dichotomy happening where the podcast is at its highest rating since the first year it began, um, meaning, I don't know why, but on Podomatic, I, I'm up there like as, I don't know, consistently number two or three or four on the ratings for whatever my category is, but also I'm getting the lowest listenership. Like last week was the lowest listenership I've ever had. So I don't know how that works, but I'm losing. They're dropping like flies. They are dropping like flies. You guys are dropping like flies, whatever. I'm fine. I'm still doing it. And by the way, a couple of people asked, am I going to be still recording the podcast next year when I'm on sabbatical? And yes, I will. I've kind of thought about maybe not doing it every week, but then again, it feels a bit like an addiction. Um, even when, like when I don't do it, I feel crazy. Like I have withdrawals and then when I'm doing it, I just want to do more and more and more and more. So this is a little bit, uh, this is my heroin apparently. And I love it. Uh, hold on. Let me put on my glasses, man. I need, oh, I, that's a reminder. I need to go get progressive frames or whatever they're called. Progressive lenses. Because I'm now at that age where I need them to see far away, which is what I always needed glasses for. And now I I need both at the same time. I need to see up close. I need to see far away. I wonder how that's going to affect my work. Okay, let me calm down. I don't know why I'm talking like a maniac. Let me Hold on. I'm just going to take a break, uh, hit pause. I'll be back in just a second. Okay, so even though podcast listeners like you heard my announcement of me taking a sabbatical for 2023, you guys heard it here first. Um, I announced it officially as, uh, on an Instagram post when I was kind of, uh, thanking people for going to my show in Houston. You know, I was winding down the year, even though I have a few more things to tackle here, uh, in 2022, but I made the official announcement and I want to go ahead and read it to you all because it seems like people have missed it and, um, you know, not everybody listens to every podcast or looks at every stupid goddamn Instagram post, which I don't want anyone to anyway, so that's good. But here I am. I'm going to read what I wrote. It might sound weird. I haven't thought about reading this, but it just now occurred to me, so it might sound weird because it was for an Instagram post, but you get the idea. Okay. 
Closing a show always brings about a complex array of feelings, and today seems to be the most complicated. I realized last night that this was the 40th solo exhibition of my career. 40. I'm 45 years old. To anyone not in the art business, that's a lot of fucking shows. Probably too many, but I've done it, and I'm tired. Like, beyond any explanation, tired. My body, brain, and heart need to rest for a while, so I'm giving them what they need for once. I'm taking all of 2023 off, a true blue sabbatical after an entire adult life of never even taking weekends off. I rarely even took days off. I'm sure I'll still draw, but with no end goal in mind for once. The thing is, it took me my entire life to realize that there is much more to me than cranking out a bunch of art. And I finally get to meet this other person, the me not tied to what I do. I'm most excited about the colossal amount of reading and research I'll get to wallow in, And the walks, the yarn, the writing, the quiet, the no planning, the walks, the cooking, the sleeping, the movies, the letter writing, the learning God knows what, the walks, the staring out windows, the sitting still, the no social media, the note taking, the no expectations, the naps, the dreams, the reflection, and again, the walks. I proclaimed that I wanted to be an artist to my family when I was five years old, and everything in me was geared towards this ever since. That's both kind of awesome and also a little sad. I love what I do more than words could possibly render. I really, really do. And honestly, I couldn't stop being this, doing this if I tried. But sometimes being an artist feels a bit like I'm in an abusive relationship with myself. I gotta figure this out. Or maybe I don't. So today is the final day of Hell and the Paradisal at Inman Gallery, and I thank every last one of you who attended the show, bought the work, and or reached out to express what you felt about it. And to Carrie, I love you very much. Working with you again has been one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Okay, that's it out of me for a while. Thanks for reading. XOXO. So, um... Oh, and here I also reminded people to sign up for my newsletter at the bottom of any website. Uh, I mean, any page of my website. Anyway, so that's what I wrote, uh, and I think it sums it up pretty well. I think that, yeah, I'm probably being a bit gentler with my language than I actually feel, but because really I feel um, anger, I feel disappointment, I feel left out of things I should be a part of. I feel maybe even bitter. I'm not afraid to admit it. I mean, I I think that that's sad and pathetic, but I'm a human being, so I'm sad and pathetic, uh, you know, inherently. I don't know. I just think uh, there's a lot going on with me leading to this. So, but but, uh, the gentle version is all true as well. I'm very much looking forward to it, but I think that what I didn't say here is a lot of disappointment also led to this decision. So that is me just putting that out there and saying I'll still be doing the podcast, but I am you're going to see a real a real blank in that resume of mine and I'm so fucking happy about it. I just realized I need to write something down. Um all right, so I'll be back in a second. What I would really love is if I could have no uh, list of things to do. That would be a really hard thing for me to do because even when I'm kind of planning fun things, I I am obsessed with to-do lists. But I realize as as much as they help me get a lot done, that's kind of part of the problem. I'm so obsessed with getting things done. I had a lot of nice comments too, by the way, um, from people, from a lot of you guys, I think, uh, on my... Um, post, and people were very sweet, the things they said back to me. Um, One in particular from a person named Laura said something to the effect of, you know what, now that I watched your hell video, oh, because uh, I've been, keep linking it, and on the Inman Gallery website, you can see, and I think it's on my Instagram too, I should, I guess I should post it onto uh, my website, but anyway, you can see a video that they made, a little mini documentary about hell. And again, I haven't watched it yet or listened to it, but it was me in it, so I assume I might know something about <laughs> what it's about. But she said something so nice. She goes, now that I've seen this uh, video and understand the making of hell, 
in particular, I think you have every right to just rest, even if it's for the rest of your life or something like that. And I, it, it made me feel so good and it made me feel seen because I do think that um, for better or worse, I've done enough work really to last about, you know, I don't know. Realistically, I won't exaggerate. How about I try to not be hyperbolic? I do feel like I've made enough work to like uh, fully fit into like three or four people's full life careers at this point. I mean, not that it's all been good because a lot of it's been shitty, trust me, but I've, I've done enough. I've done enough. And even when I was younger, and I mean that when I say I announced that I was going to be an artist, I think I was even younger than five and it's a whole long story about that. I remember it has to do with Ronald Reagan and my grandma and a kitchen table and, believe it or not, maggots. And <laughs> all of these things combined led to me announcing that. And, uh, oh, Trivial Pursuit was also uh, involved. And I uh, really have lived I remember people even, uh, I don't know, talking to me about it when I was really young. Like, don't you want to kind of be a little more open-minded about it? And I'm like, no, no, I, I don't because it's not, a, it's, it's, no, I don't. I want to be an artist, so shut up. So anyway, um, I think that, what am I saying? Uh, that's, I don't even know what I was talking about. It led to a slightly limited life. Uh, uh, but, but the thing is, is that even when I was in college and I tried to get out of this being an artist thing, I remember having all sorts of ideas like I'll run a diner or I'll be a, I'll just be a waitress at a diner and make art on the side. And I had all of these like ways to get out of it. Cause I could, t I think that my, you know, inner wisdom told me this is going to be this is going to be bad. <laughs> this is going to be a hard life, girl. This is not going to be very fun all the time. I mean, yeah, you get to make drawings or paintings or whatever I thought I would be doing at the time, but it's difficult. It's a, it's a, I don't know. It's a difficult life in a lot of ways. And, um, I think that I remember just, I remember, <laughs> You know, setting up goals, not the way people do now, but back then you would just dream. You know, you don't like say what, whatever those lists are like, here's my career goals. It wasn't all about accomplishment back then, but you would talk with your friends and say, God, I'd really love to, before the time I die, be in the Whitney Biennial. For some reason, that was my thing. That was one of my things. And little did I know I would be, I got lucky enough to be in the Whitney Biennial like shortly after I uh, graduated from undergraduate school. And so, um, and, and I, I've mentioned recently, I was the first, uh, I was the youngest female from Texas ever in the biennial. I think I was one of the only f female artists from Texas ever in the biennial at that point. I had like back before people noted that or cared about those kind of things, I had a lot of firsts actually. And way more than I ever, I'm only bringing this up because I'm saying way more than I ever dreamed possible, right? It all kind of came accidentally. And, you know, if people want to claim that luck has a lot to do with any sort of success, it does. And I don't have any problem admitting that. But I also really made it happen. And I really had the work behind it. And I think that I was presenting um, a fairly new take on drawing to the world in a lot of different ways at that time. But the, but there were other people doing that who didn't get the attention. And, um, you know, as someone now in their mid-40s, trust me, that attention has waned significantly. And that's just how it goes. I was, you know, young. It's cooler to be young and be kind of good at something. Right now it's just boring. All right, yeah, she's kind of good at this, whatever. She's a, <laughs> she's a mid-career artist. Doesn't We don't care. Um, but what I'm saying is I accomplished a lot beyond what I ever thought was going to be possible even before the time I died by both hard work and luck um, in my 20s. And so, you know, I guess what I'm saying is like, what is it that I want now? Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I've been working so hard at since I already got what I wanted. <laughs> what, what else do I expect? Can I just kind of fucking chill out for a while and read? Really, I think that, you know, that's why I'm giving myself this time is because it's totally okay. I've explained to other people and my friend Aaron helped me kind of realize this. I'm sort of in a good version of a, of a like identity crisis or I knew I was in an identity crisis, but she kind of told me this is a good version of it. Or at least that's how I understood our conversation. Aaron, Aaron, 
speak up. What do you think? Um, anyway, I, I do think I am, and I like that about my life right now. I'm really embracing it. I think that it's a real gift. And in a weird way, it's almost like maybe I can, like, die and come back to life right now, you know, or next year or whatever. Like, a part of me is dead, and and that is awesome, actually. So usually you do have to actually die to get that to happen, and you don't get to come back, as far as I know. So uh, does that explain things? Okay, I want to say that I'm very excited this week about something, which is Damien, as some of you know, is my... Um, person I'm married to, and he is a unbelievable songwriter and musician, and um, he is giving a 25th anniversary show this Friday, November 11th, here in Seattle at St. Mark's Cathedral, which is so gorgeous. It is going to be an unreal, uh, very, very special uh, night. And it's also, the next day is his 50th birthday. So if anyone's around, I'm not sure if there, I think there are very few tickets left, but I think there are some tickets left. So just go to DamienGerardo.com, I believe it is, DamienGerardo.com, and you'll see the link. And I'm very, very, very excited about it. I don't, I don't get, I guess I don't really, talk, I think it's obvious, like I, that I love Damien's music, I'm assuming anyway. But maybe I don't say it enough. Maybe I don't talk about it enough. You know, in fact, today I'm going to list. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm in the description of the podcast. When I write it, I'm going to list to my top three favorite YouTube videos of Damien Gerardo live. And this, if you've ever wondered, what is it about Robin and Damien? What what happened? What what What's going on here? What, why do they love each other so much? What is, what is this? You will see, especially the, okay, there's one where it's Ghost of David, The Return, like uh, it's an improvised version of his song, Ghost of David. And if you watch this video, it's at some place called the Blue Indian. I'm, I'm linking all of this, okay? I've already decided. You will see that performance alone and be like, oh, of course Robin is in love with Damien. It, it, it just all makes sense, in my opinion. This explains it all. Also, it will show you, if you don't know Damien's voice and music, I think unless you're a psychopath, you'll you'll start to. Or unless you're super lame, uh, you, you will fall in love with his music and his voice and everything. Uh, so anyway, and then there's another one, The Killer. I remember there's a live performance of The Killer that I am obsessed with, too. Um, he was doing a lot of murder ballads around that time. And also, I don't know what the third one I'll, I'll choose is, but I'll put another one on there. And I want you guys to check him out. And if you're in the Seattle area, you should go to the show. This is going to be next level, I think. And and I will say, as much as I love Damien's music recorded, uh, it, until I saw, I mean, until you see him live, it doesn't, it still, him live is what is very, very special. Um, I keep saying the word special and I love when he yells. And I think both of these songs, both of these videos, he gets pretty wild and is kind of yell singing. And I'm obsessed with it when he does that. Okay. So why was I talking about that? Oh, that's my week. And then I'm excited about his 50th birthday. We're going to celebrate here at the house. I have some surprises set up. So, um, I'm not sure why I'm talking about that. I was wishing also that the next day, Sunday, I wanted to try something, but I don't think this is a good weekend for it. Uh, Larry Hagman, a.k.a. J.R. Ewing from the show Dallas in the 80s, he, Damien just recently told me that Larry Hagman, he saw an interview with him where he explained that he has no talk Sundays. I mean, he's long dead now, but he did have no talk Sundays where he doesn't talk to anyone on Sundays. And I thought... Oh shit, this is this is something I've got to try. I'm always looking for a chance to not talk. And yet I talk all the time. So maybe that's something I can implement. Has anyone tried that? I have been to a silent retreat and then I left after about 45 minutes. So that didn't work out. And uh but I didn't leave because of no talking. That part I loved. I left because I found an iguana or some sort of lizard in my um room, in my closet. Uh, I probably talked about it whatever week that was. I was trying really hard to do this thing. And then instead, I gave myself, you know, just my own kind of weekend at home. But 
I would love to not talk. Who out there? T- tell me. Tell me what you do. Do you talk a lot? Do you do you also desire this? Have you done a silent retreat? My friend Julie once did a silent retreat, and she told me they would focus even on breathing, and you would breathe until you've got to feel the breath coming out of your nostrils onto your upper lip. And that's like the main goal. I'm trying to do it right now. I can kind of feel it, but apparently you feel it more and more as you grow silent. So, all right. Um, moving on, I've got some questions. I asked you guys to email me reading stuff at iCloud.com or info at Robin O'Neill. Should I just move it over to everything? Info at RobinO'Neill.com? That seems a little bit easier to say those words. Mm. So anyway, you guys asked me some questions and I'm going to answer them. So here we go. Question. I know you don't drink alcohol all that much anymore, but what did you drink when you did drink? And by the way, should I re- I'm not going to read people's names because I feel like I didn't don't have the right unless they say it or maybe you guys know. Anyway, in the future, should I read names? Should I not read names? Okay. Uh alcohol. So, long story short for anyone new to the podcast, I I uh never really drank too much, but I <laughs> There were there were times when I di- well yes I've had nights and weekends or something uh, that I've had too much to drink for sure but I was naturally not a big drinker because my family all drank a lot and I wasn't into it as a kid so I was really kind of anti drinking and drugs and everything growing up in high school I even started the anti drug club and all of that so um and until my parents made my professor um, make me drink. This sounds so messed up, but they kind of made me drink when I went to school in London. Like they were like, you look out for her, you make her have fun and drink alcohol. And I did. And so I first drank in London, I think, if I remember all of this clearly, that is true. And it was because my parents pressured me. So, um, but I've never become an alcoholic. I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic, but I know a lot of alcoholics and I have been in love with a lot of alcoholics and, Um, I'm one of these people who's just attracted to alcoholics and that's common. And that's why I'm in Al-Anon, the 12 step program for people who care about alcoholics and don't know how to handle their lives with the alcoholics. So anyway, but I, you know, there, as I always say, and I've said it on here, if you can't beat them, join them. And I did a lot of the joining them. And, um, you know, started with beer like most people. I always liked a light beer. I grew up around Coors Light. I've never liked Coors Light, but I do like Heineken and, you know, lagers. I'm into that. I never, I mean, I drank every kind of beer there is, so I can handle any of it. I also have a high tolerance for alcohol. So, you know, it takes a lot to make me feel drunk and even longer for anybody to notice I'm drunk. And the kind of drunk I was, you guys didn't ask this, but the kind of drunk I was, was I was very, I'm just very fun. And, and, you know, I, I mean, that's what I would say. My me- that's what people have told me. I just get fun. I get a little more like, um, maybe flirty is the word, but I mean with every, not like with the goal of having sex with everybody, but with just like a little playful, much more playful than maybe I naturally am. I'm kind of a playful person anyway, but yeah, I get, I get fun, I would say. And a little more, maybe, maybe daring is the word, but I don't get rude. I don't get, you know, bitchy. I don't get anything like that. Um, anyway, eventually in the height of my drinking career, I liked whiskey and rye whiskey specifically, but I loved regular, like, and I like bourbon. I liked, uh, Jack Daniels. I loved Maker's Mark. I, but my favorite I remember was Templeton Rye from Iowa. I loved rye whiskey. I liked Woodford Reserve, I think it's called. Those were my drinks. I liked it either neat or I really liked it on ice. And again, I could drink a lot of it without it really seeming weird. I'm not into wine. If I ever drink now, it seems like it's wine just because that's what my parents seem to be drinking. And I usually only drink around them now. So, um, yeah, I don't know, but I just don't drink a lot anymore. It just doesn't interest me very much, you know? All right. Um, am I still a vegan? uh, No. And I would never have identified as a vegan. I always said I'm eating vegan right now. So, 
Um, but yeah, recently I was eating vegan. Damien is vegan and I am not. I felt, I can't remember what it is, but something with my health problems, salmon and like lean proteins really do a wonder of good to me, both healing my gut and making me feel a little bit more with it. And when I'm not eating those things that are meat-based, I don't feel quite as good. Um, it makes me sad because I am uh, very in love with animals and I don't like eating them. And I really, there are certain things I like, and I've never, I have never really eaten red meat, not since I was a kid. So I'm not, and even then we didn't eat it a lot because my mom didn't eat red meat and, um, she didn't eat pork either. So I will say I'll never eat bacon or pork again after visiting this pig farm, this pig sanctuary that is near our house uh, and getting to like, you know, pet pigs as if they're dogs and hang out with pigs and see them with their personalities. Listen, bacon is the most delicious thing on planet earth. I, it just is other than water to me, (laughs) water and bacon. Uh, but I can't do it after that experience I had recently. So anyway, not a vegan. I'm not, again, I don't eat red meat. I've never been able to eat cows. I just look at their eyes and I'm like, they're, to me, they are such beautiful animals. So I just can't do it. But I eat turkey. So lately, oh, here's what I'm about to eat when I'm done with the podcast. I have been making turkey sandwiches, which I, uh, I love turkey sandwiches. It is on white bread. This is my um, seasonal fun sandwich. Cranberry sauce. Well, okay, vegan butter, a little bit of vegan butter on the white bread. This might sound so disgusting, but I don't care. I'm sh- Okay, so a little bit of vegan butter on the white bread, then cranberry sauce, then stuffing, you know, bread stuffing like you eat at Thanksgiving, and turkey meat, a little Colby Jack cheese, thinly sliced, and uh, I think that's it. It is, is, is my favorite sandwich. I'm so excited right now. I can't, I, I need to speed this podcast up so I can go eat it. Okay, um, here's a question. Tell us about your brother. Okay, I have one brother, Casey O'Neill. Casey Christopher O'Neill is his name, and he is three years younger than me. He is a, he has a wife named Becca, and they have two kids, my niece and nephew, Carson and Brooke. And they live in San Antonio, Texas. And my brother's always lived in Texas since we moved. So my brother was born in Denver. That's where I lived after. I was born in Omaha, Nebraska. Then my parents and I moved to Denver. And that's where my brother was born. Then we moved to Houston. Then we moved back to Omaha, Nebraska. And then we moved to Grapevine, Texas, which is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And... My I was in sixth grade. My brother was in third grade, I think. Three, four or five. Six. Yeah, he was in third grade. And so he is much more of a Texan than I am. And um, I always talk about, like, my voice, I think, if it it sounds to a lot of people Midwestern sounding. My brother doesn't have any of the Midwest sound. I kind of sound Midwestern and Texan, and he sounds fully Texan. And he says y'all, and he's much more Texan than me in that way. Um, what else about Casey? Casey and I are very different people. I think Casey was on the podcast. You can search. I'm sure I credit him. Search under me reading stuff. You can search Casey or my brother and he'll probably pop up. Um, we are opposites in every way. He, except that we're both very geared towards wanting to be successful. I think we're both very obsessive about success and accomplishment And we're both now in our 40s realizing how problematic that's been for our own individual families that we've created, you know, Um, and me maybe destroyed in the past. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, I'm not laughing at that. I'm just like laughing at how upsetting it is. So anyway, um, yeah, I think, okay, so my brother also, my brother is very athletic that's the other, you should see his body right now. I'm, I'm sorry to talk about my brother's body, but like I saw a photo cause he's in, I don't know what he does. Not MMA. Maybe it's MMA. He does something. No oh, jujitsu. And he's gone to like tournaments and won gold medals. 
So growing up, my brother was in Taekwondo and he uh, is a fifth degree black belt in Taekwondo. He also went to the Junior Olympics and uh, in Korea and uh, won, I think, uh, go, I don't know, bronze. I don't know. He won. He won a big award at the Junior Olympics that year when he was in high school. So my brother is a real badass is what I'm trying to say. So, you know, with his fifth degree black belt, he's registered as a weapon in Texas, just him and his body, his self, you know. And I would say that's very different from me. <laughs> being that my favorite pastime is being under blankets on couches reading. Um, but my brother is wickedly smart. Uh, very, he's in, um, like land. He's, uh, he went, he went to school for real estate and business and he's just a very successful guy. He lives in what I would call a mansion and, um, he, what else? He hunts. <laughs> he is a hunter. So that's very different from me, especially coming off of the vegan question. And he is very funny. The one thing he and I um, seem alike to me is that we laugh at the same thing. We find the same things very funny. And so we have a very good time together. My brother, I, I mean, I think that my brother understands me in a way that nobody else ever will, just like most people. But we are, and I would also say, though, we're not necessarily close, um, but I would like to be. I think, we. I think you know, it's just life. We're both very busy people, and we don't live in the same state. And so that kind of, but I feel very close to him. Like, when I'm around him, I can do anything, say anything. It's not a big deal. I mean, we do get into fights easily, I will say. We're politically different. We are, obviously, the hunting thing is strange, uh, <laughs> a strange difference. But we, yeah, there's, anyway, I'm very fascinated with my brother. I, and I also think this about my brother. He is the single most charismatic human being I have ever met in the history of my life. And there is nobody like him. Uh, anybody who's ever met him will say the same thing. He he can speak to anybody. He can talk to anybody. He's very articulate. He's a great conversationalist. He's so fucking funny. It's crazy. And he is just kind of unreal. He he is an unreal type of person. You're just like, what just happened? After, after you spend time with my brother, you're just kind of like, in a whirlwind in your head. You're like, what the fuck just happened to me? This was intense. He's very intense, which I am. I have been told I'm very intense too, but we are probably in a different way. I'm a, I'm a lot like softer than he is. Okay. So that's my brother, Casey O'Neill. Um, okay. Last question I'll pick is who is the possibly canceled gay male writer you keep referring to? All right. I'll tell you guys, I was talking over the last month or so about Brett Easton Ellis. And the how did this all start with me and Brett Easton Ellis? I have no idea. Now I don't remember why I started to read. But I decided I was going to read, because I had never read any Brett Easton Ellis, I just, for some reason on instinct, was like, I want to read every Brett Easton Ellis novel. And it was sort of because I was reading last year a couple of horror novels and one of his novels, well, and even American Psycho, some of his novels are considered horror, especially Lunar Park. So I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. And um, so I started from the beginning and I haven't gotten to do this, like start from the beginning with a writer and go up until the current day or just read everything a writer has ever published. I haven't done that in a long time. I, I mean, I can't think of the last time I did it, but one of my favorite reading stories of my life was in my last year of, no, it was maybe my second year of college. I wanted to read everything J.D. Salinger ever wrote. And I mean, how college is that of me? But, and there are a lot of pieces that weren't in books at the time, but they were in old publications that I would find at the library. So I decided I would do all of this reading at the library on this one couch. And I had, first of all, I loved my college library out in East Texas, and I also worked there. So it was so much fun to just start from the beginning, and to do it chronologically feels really good, too, to really understand a writer that way is just a, I don't even care if you don't like the writer that much. Like, if you don't like the books you're reading necessarily, I, there's something about doing that that I like, and 
Um, I've certainly done it since then, but it's been a while. So anyway, I and I love the movie American Psycho a lot. And I always wanted to read it and just never gave myself the chance. So I read from the beginning on. Oh, I know what it was. I think I even mentioned this, that um, podcast last year, the Bennington College podcast that came out, um, got me interested in his writing a little bit more. So so anyway, over the last month or so, I've read everything except his two newest books. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I'm taking a little break. I finished... Um, I finished Imperial Bedrooms last week. I did not. That was my least favorite of all, just in case any of you listen. But there's this there's this thing that happens in a book called Glamorama that is so beautiful to me. The book is, I, I don't even know where to be. I don't know where to begin talking about Brett Easton Ellis right now, but I will say there's this thing with confetti. <laughs> there's this thing that happens with confetti several times in glamorama that I am so um I uh, kind of obsessed with I can't get it out of my head right now so anyway there's that and I think that I greatly enjoyed this time with the Bretty Sinellis books again it came out of nowhere it is not something typical of me as you guys know, I, te- I think I've mentioned on here, especially when it comes to novels, I tend to read the classics. I tend to read, you know, a century ago. I- I'm just not, I feel like I've just got a lot to catch up on still. I- and, I- and I like being somewhere else, somewhere far from now, as much as humanly possible. So never saw this coming, especially with Brett Easton Ellis, but I've come to really appreciate and respect a lot about him. So uh, I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but... Uh, because again, he, he, I don't think he's been canceled, but you know, he, he kind of was even in his early career canceled pre cancel time. You know, he was canceled for American psycho. I mean, people didn't, his publisher like didn't want to put it out and people thought he was just disgusting because he wrote about disgusting people. But I certainly, anyway, I don't, I don't know enough of the details about his life or anything like that, but I do know about his books now. So that is Brett Easton Ellis. Okay, should we read? So we're going to read today. Actually, let me, let me drink a little water and collect my thoughts. Okay, everybody. I keep thinking this will be a surprise. Like People will be like, you're reading what? But now I realize it's actually in the description or in the uh, title of the podcast. So, all right, I'm reading. Dire Straits, Money for Nothing, the lyrics of Money for Nothing. Uh, I'll give Mark Knopfler, I think, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his last name, but the writer of the song from Dire Straits, Mark Knopfler. And this is from the 1985 album, Brothers in Arms. Uh, If you grew up when I did, I was born in 77, uh, this video that came out was, the. I think it's like one of the most successful videos that ever came out. And this is at the height of MTV craziness. So there's that. Also, Sting is in the song. There's background vocals by Sting. Uh, The song... (laughs) Okay, here is from Wikipedia. Uh, Mark Knopfler wrote it after overhearing delivery men in a New York department store complain about their jobs while watching MTV. He wrote the song in the store, sitting in a kitchen display they had set up. And furthermore, I want to read... Because the only thing... The whole reason this came up uh, sorry, this whole podcast seems to be about Damien today, but Damien and I were talking and one of us brought up this song and he goes, can you believe that he says the F word in that song? And I'm like, what? Meaning the, not F-U-C-K, but the derogatory term for homosexuals. And I'm like, I don't remember that at all. And I almost couldn't believe it. Like, how could a song as big have that in it? And then... I look and I see it. And then I did a little research. I'm like, what is going on? Because I wasn't sure I could ever enjoy the song again. Well, okay. So this is why it's interesting to read these lyrics today too. So, but then (laughs) Damien and I were on the phone when I was reading these lyrics. And when I read them, we both were laughing our asses off, not at the F word, but at how (laughs) ridiculous. There's just something. Get ready. I think it's so fun to hear these lyrics read out loud for some weird reason. So let's see if you guys agree. But also it brings up this topic of 
well, and I just brought up Bret Easton Ellis, so cancellation and um, what is allowed and isn't allowed. And Patti Smith just took off her song that has the N-word in it, finally took that off of streaming. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I don't have any answers. I just have a lot of questions about, you know. The, uh, so anyway, but in this song, the lead character is the guy who works in this appliance store and he's the guy singing the song and you can tell that if you read the lyrics and Mark Knopfler said he wrote the song when he was actually in the store he even found a piece of paper in the store and wrote it down while he was observing these guys and he used their actual language because it felt I'm sure just more real to him and I've found a lot of this info online and on Wikipedia but um, here's some more of what he said. Uh, so they, these, he was watching these guys with MTV on in the background. Then he said there was a male employee dressed in a baseball cap, work boots, and a checkered shirt delivering boxes who was standing next to him watching. As they were standing there watching MTV, Knopfler remembers the man coming up with lines such as, what are those, Hawaiian noises? That ain't working, um, etc. And let's see, the first person narrating character in the lyrics refer to a musician that he saw on MTV banging on the bongos like a chimpanzee and a woman sticking it in the camera. Man, we could have some fun. So then the man had described the singer as that little F word with the earring and the makeup and bemoans that these artists get money for nothing and chicks for free. So that's the story of this song. I mean, who knew? that Dire Straits Money for Nothing had this much going on. But I also love the idea of any writer, whether it be a musician or a writer of prose or poetry, like needing... I love those moments where people need a piece of paper. <laughs> it's true of artists, too. I usually have a piece of paper with me at all times for that reason. Um, but anyway, all right, so here we go. I'm going to be reading Money for Nothing. And if you've never seen the video, check it out. Uh, very very influential music video and uh very kind of just i mean dire straits is a good band in my opinion i i love it while i was researching for this podcast i was i never realized how many dire straits song i songs i loved but i was having a good time listening to them so here we go okay money for nothing now look at them yo-yos that's the way you do it you play the guitar on the mtv that ain't working. That's the way you do it. Money for nothing and your chicks for free. Now that ain't working. That's the way you do it. Let me tell you, them guys ain't dumb. Maybe get a blister on your little finger. Maybe get a blister on your thumb. We got to install microwave ovens. Custom kitchen deliveries. We got to move these refrigerators. We got to move these color TVs. See the little F word with the earring and the makeup. Yeah, buddy, that's his own hair. That little F-word got his own jet airplane. That little F-word, he's a millionaire. We got to install these microwave ovens. Custom kitchen deliveries. We got to move these refrigerators. We got to move these color TVs. We got to install microwave ovens. Custom kitchen deliveries. We got to move these refrigerators. We got to move these color TVs. Looky here, look out. I should have learned to play the drums. Look at that mama. She got it sticking in the camera, man. We could have some. And he's up there. What's that? Hawaiian noises? Banging on the bongos like a chimpanzee? That ain't working. That's the way you do it. Get your money for nothing. Get your chicks for free. We got to install microwave ovens. Custom kitchen deliveries. We got to move these refrigerators. We got to move these color TVs. Listen here. Now that ain't working. That's the way you do it. You play the guitar on the MTV. That ain't working. That's the way you do it. Money for nothing and your chicks for free. Okay, I could keep going, but since it is a song, this is the problem with reading songs. You could, you're just going to hear me going, get your money for nothing and the chicks for free about two billion times. And then I want my, I want my, I want my, I want my MTV. <laughs> so I won't put you through that. 
But isn't this a fun song to read out loud? I, again, aside from the F word ruining it, for, you know, I, I don't want to say that word. I would never say that word. I, I just can't do I just can't do it. Even though I know it's a quote, I still am uncomfortable. But I have no problem with it being in there as a quote. What do you guys think? I mean, as a quote from the person who inspired the song. And I do love this image of these two working guys with these boxes of appliances, watching MTV, being jealous of the musician. I love the whole thing. So I've been dying. In fact, I have been trying to do this exact podcast, Reading Dire Straits, for a long time. And it just never made sense until right now. Um, All right. That's it for that. I'm going to be right back to say goodbye. All right, you guys, I just saw a note that I wrote to myself, and I'm in my yarn room again. I'm just dying to work with yarn all the time. Um, And there was this one uh, skein of yarn that I had that was lime green that I had sitting around here for, well, I mean, it's been with me probably for six years now, and I always hated it. I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, God, that lime green is disgusting. And then all of a sudden, last week, I was so drawn to it, and I have all my yarn set up in, like, a really beautiful way. It looks like a yarn store in here, and I I just can't get enough of it. I've already used almost all of it. Now I only have a little bit left. I might treat myself to going to Joann's and get some more lime green yarn if they have it. Anyway, isn't that weird how you suddenly like a color? I haven't liked lime green. I've never worn lime green, number one. Never in my life. Even in the 90s. Do you remember when in the late 90s lime green was really big? I couldn't, I couldn't fucking stand it. I loved like deep forest greens in the early nineties when I was in high school. That was a big color. And I just got, um, some sweatpants in that color (laughs) and I wore them to my colonoscopy. I didn't tell you guys about my colonoscopy this week. Did I, did I already say this? So I had, I have to have a colonoscopy every, every month. Oh my God, (laughs) that'd be the biggest nightmare. But every year I have to have a colonoscopy and, um, Oh my God, I just noticed on these sweatpants, there's already a hole in them. And I just put them on for the first time. That makes me so angry. But anyway, um, yeah, my colonoscopy was the biggest nightmare. On Sunday was my colonoscopy prep, which if you guys don't know, you drink this liquid and it cleans you out. And this is so sick that I'm talking about it, but whatever. That's what happens. And I picked the pills. You can now pick to do the pill version where you don't have to taste the liquid. You just drink a lot of pills and drink a lot of water, which would not be a problem for me because I love drinking water and I always drink a lot of water. But for some reason, this stuff can make you very nauseous and so can the drink stuff. But I've never thrown up as a result of it. And it was so bad that I did throw up. And I haven't thrown up in... I don't even know how long. I did throw up once this year for an emotional reason. Um, Something happened with my friend, and uh, I got very upset and threw up. And it was the most shocking thing I've ever been through, to be honest with you. But prior to that, I hadn't thrown up in probably eight years or something like that. I never, ever throw up. And if you know anything about me, you may know that I also am very traumatized by stories of throwing up, and I threw up in a restaurant in second grade and didn't eat in a restaurant again until I was about 21 years old or 20 years old. So I am uh, – if if there's one um, – that's not an idiosync – one – what is the word for it? One big issue with me, it's throwing up. I mean, I am uh, really not okay with it. So anyway – I threw up. That was a nightmare. Then I thought, oh, my God, did I go through all of this and I won't be able to go in for the procedure now? But I called the nurses and they said, no, you can just keep doing it. Then you had and then I had to take a whole bunch of more pills at 3 a.m. the day of the procedure because this was the day before that I threw up. So I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to throw up again. But I didn't throw up again. Then I go in and I mean, this is I don't even know how many I've probably had 10 colonoscopies in my life. And so or more than that, actually. So I and I go in and everything's fine, but I'm noticing that everybody else in the other little curtained off rooms is meeting the anesthesiologist and he 
the reason I'm noticing is because they keep referring to him by name, but then he goes, oh, just call me Chad. And he said it real cool like that. Oh, just call me Chad. How you feeling? And I, and I thought, I can't wait to see this guy. I was dying to see what he looked like. I never did get to find out because long story short, they're wheeling me into the operation room and they're not going to put me under. I don't get the anesthesiologist, Chad, because they're just giving me some sort of medicine to kind of numb me out or something. So I was completely awake during the entire colonoscopy, which has never happened. I've always been completely dead asleep. And as I say to everybody, my favorite moment of my life is always that moment when they when they have me count down from 10, when I am getting put out. And it is the best feeling I've ever had as a person who's never done drugs. I can see why people do because of that time during my colonoscopies when I get to basically just die for a little bit. I think it's the greatest feeling I've ever had, and I live for it. And it's the only thing that gets me through the fact that I have to do so many colonoscopies is the fact I'm like, well, for about three seconds, I get to feel that feeling. Um, so, yeah, and I was like crying and yelling out about how much they're hurting me and I felt them, I could feel even the inside of myself like being um, scraped because they take little, this is so gross, but I'm just, I don't, I don't care. It does, it's not gross to me because it's just life. But anyway, I could feel them taking samples of my inside, you know, my large intestine or whatever, because that's what they do check. Because if you have ulcerative colitis like me, you have a really high chance of getting colon cancer. So this is the only way you can screen for it really. Anyway, long story short, I'm fine, but this week has been really not fun for me. So that's my story. That's part of the, You know what? And that's only part of the story because I'll be honest with you. I ha- there's a lot more to this story, um, but that's the um, almost G-rated version of it or nothing gets X-rated, but... <laughs> You know what I'm saying. Anyway, you guys, I'm going to get out of here, let you go. I, I, I've been recording these in little bits and pieces, so I have no idea how long this is, but it seems long. Um, let's see. Enjoy your microwave oven. Enjoy your kitchen deliveries. Enjoy the blister on your little thumb. Enjoy, enjoy it all. Enjoy thinking about my brother, Casey. Enjoy Damien's show tomorrow night if you happen to be in Seattle. It's going to be amazing. Um, I will talk to you more about the movies I've been watching lately next week. I might mention uh, some other stuff. I don't know. Have you ever done a No Talk Sunday? Have you ever done a No Talk Week? I want to hear about that. I love you guys for listening. I love you guys, period. I think you guys are so fun and sweet and nice to me. And um, I really like doing this. So I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. And I guess that is time to wrap it up. Well, I'll let you say the final goodbye. Okay. Um, Look, I just want to say that this has been an amazing experience. I've learned a lot, and I really want to thank each and every person that has listened. I wouldn't have been able to do it without you. So thank you for your time. I'm going to miss it. And with that, I will say goodbye for now.